1: up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees Promo rate for new customers for limited time Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month Slows full terms at mintmobile.com Have a listen to this Have a listen to this Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a this two is a year low. There who are, of course, complex reasons for that. Of He was
0: the big spender. Right. The big spender. Doing Mr. the grocery 28. shopping 28. could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello, and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good Adam. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Nothing to plug hey. today? Nothing to plug at all. So let's get straight into it. Massive show coming up. Uh, according to the ABS, the size of households is shrinking. We'll ask Thomas what might be causing our houses to shrink. Did we leave them out in the rain too long, perhaps? <laughs> uh, fake social <laughs> media accounts are slinging dirt on Australian miner Linus and not in a good mining kind of way. For the first time ever, the 60-40 investing rule is failing. We'll take a look at what it is and find out whether my personal investing strategy, the 50-50 guess, is also under threat. Thomas. Every week, I spend literally minutes and minutes preparing for this show, but you gave me a story today about a government that is making their own beer from poo water, then selling it to its people, and I thought, you beauty, I'll take the day off. These jokes write themselves. That's coming up later, but first, Ashley has sent us an email I wanted to get to just quickly. Uh, Ashley sent us an email, cve at equitymates.com, and kind of a long email, but essentially, He's asking if we could use the GST as a policy lever to fight inflation. Thomas, is that something we can do?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely in theory. Um, yeah, anything that sort of increases the tax take and takes money out of out of households is going to slow the economy. So if your economy is running too hot, upping the GST rate is going to slow things down a bit. So that might mm-hmm. t- take the heat out of inflation. Yeah, we have this sort of like automatic stabilizers built into the tax system. So like when the economy is going badly, there's money coming out of the government going into like dole payments and things like that. So it automatically stabilizes the economy to an extent. Mm. So there's sort of that going on. But yeah, so theoretically it's possible. I think it would be very politically difficult to sell people a hike in the GST as inflation's taking off. (laughs) <laughs>
0: you thought you thought rate increases were fun. <laughs> well, get ready for GST increases. Mm. Right, so it's not going to happen anytime soon, you don't know, reckon?
1: No, 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 no. It really went out of fashion. I mean, and I think, as he points out in the email, you'd need an independent board to mm. sort of oversee it and manage it. So it's just you wouldn't have the the short termism of government just mm. messing around with it. But yeah, difficult, difficult, difficult.
0: There you go. Actually, I hope that answers your question. He he did mention um, modern monetary theory in in the question as well, there somewhere, but I think that's unrelated, right? It
1: depends. Yeah, Uh, not not directly. I mean, they're not the money. What a monetary Mm. theorists aren't talking about using the GST.
0: Well, well, they've all gone very quiet now, haven't they? (laughs) They're not really talking about much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Thomas. Is it true that our houses are getting smaller?
1: Uh, No, no, not well, no. No, not (laughs) Household size. Politely now. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, they're not. The average household size is getting smaller. So this is Mm. is some data that came out of the census. So we got the census results uh, last year from Mm -hmm. the 2021 census. And that showed that the average household size is now down from 2.6 people to 2.5 people.
0: (laughs) Big news. 2.6 to
1: 2.5. Yeah. Yeah. But That's... When you're talking about a population of 24 million, that's actually pretty big, is it? Yeah, and and what it means is that for the same number of people, you need about an extra 150 to 200 thousand homes.
0: Right. So there's less there's less people living per house, so therefore you need more houses.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. For the same population.
0: Why are they doing it? Why why have we got less people per house?
1: That's a good question. It's a yeah, big question. I mean, sort of people talking about. I think there's a couple of things. One is like the potentially the need for um, home offices that came out of COVID. Oh, yeah. So that meant people got kicked out of bedrooms and people had, or when people went and found, houses with extra rooms so they could have the home office mm. is one of the theories. I don't know how, how solid that is. Well, we did it. We, we converted one of
0: our rooms and we didn't get rid of any people from the house. <laughs> 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 I, was, I was tempted to get rid of the youngest the other day, but <laughs> she stayed on.
1: Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. You look that you also get a look at household composition. So... You've also got a fall in group households. So group households, I mean, they're pretty small, like 4.3% of the total of households in 2016. That's down to 3.9%. So a bit of a bit of a drop in group households, not as many group households as they used to be. Group um, households
0: being what, like share house livers? Like yeah, union students housing. and stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Non- f- non-family related right. people together, yeah.
0: I lived in a share house till I was, I think, 33. Yeah. <laughs> And called me immature. <laughs> anyway, yeah.
1: mm. pretty common. But yeah, for, but family households is down from 71.3 to 70.5. These don't sound like huge numbers, but they're pretty significant with, with census and the population data. So it's like small, small percentage changes can be quite big. Mm. And then, but yeah, and then a big pickup in single person households up from 24.4 to 25.6. So mm. it seems it seems at least that some of the story is that there's more people going it alone mm. and that's, that's why the average size is falling. I was watching
0: We Crashed the other night, the TV series about WeWork and the collapse uh. of WeWork and that was all about community and I thought as I was watching it, all these people gathering together it's like this is not. It's not what we want, surely. This is fucking. Maybe I've been tainted by that, <laughs> by the, the desire to live
1: alone. Yeah. Well, I think that's what social media, the whole social media experiments taught us, is that we're mm. very excited to be connected for a while, mm. and then realise we didn't really want to be that. <laughs> as connected. long as we can switch off. <laughs> Look at memes. The interesting thing about this is it solves a bit of a puzzle. Uh, which we suspected, but we weren't sure. We talked a little bit about this on the show before. But mm. one of the big puzzles to come out of COVID was that, you know, when, when it first landed and the borders shut, a lot of the property market analysts are saying, "Well, this is going to affect rental prices because you know we we have a quite a high immigration intake each year. That's going to go to zero. Therefore, that's a lot of that demand for for rental housing is going to disappear. There's going to be rental slack and and rental prices will fall." That's what That was the kind of consensus Mm. view when COVID first hit. But what happened was the exact opposite. And um, the rental market tightened phenomenally and rents soared. So rents were up 17.5% over the year in Sydney, 18.6% in in Brisbane, 15% in Melbourne. So huge jumps in rental prices. Mm. You look at the number of available rental properties. Like typically, you know, between 2015 and and 2020, there was about 80,000 rental properties on the market at any point in time that's now down to under 40,000 so right. the number of available rental properties is halved and the vacancy rates gone to one percent which is the tightest it's ever been so yeah we got ended up with an incredibly tight rental market even though immigration had gone to zero and this seems and this seems to be the driving factor that that need that fall in average household size, even though it's not massive, 2.6 to 2.5, that's an extra 200,000 homes. You put that in context, like we mm. build 60,000 new homes every, in most years. So if it, if it happened all at once, you're talking about o- over three years worth of demand suddenly entering the market at the same time yeah right, which is why it's sort of why why I think it's gone as tight as it has
0: is it exacerbated by you know supply chain shocks and whatever in terms of building houses and stuff is that is that come into it at all or you know you talk about sixty thousand a year that we'd normally build mm. are we slower at building as well is that kind of
1: oh i think I think that's probably hurting at the margin, but it's probably not mm. it's getting it it gets swamped by this by this right. factor i reckon
0: so what do we do? do we just start building those like those living those pods, sleeping pods that they have in like Japan and stuff, is that is that yeah. the answer? We're all we're all working from home. Do we just start sleeping at work?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, so, some some people were saying that you know this this increase in demand for single person households is a bit at mix in terms of what what's being brought to the market. Like, mostly we construct new family homes. Mm. We're not you know we're not creating that many single person dwellings but that's where demand is at the moment
0: because yeah, yeah the old the old one bedroom flat was mm. i always thought they were difficult to kind of to sell because you, mm. you know when i was first looking at, at buying a house or buying a unit i kind of ruled out one bedroom ones i was like ah they're too they're kind of unappealing but you're saying they're the flavor of the month
1: yeah there's, i think there's definitely demand for it i mean it'd be interesting to, to look at where those single person households are in like if you know there might be single people living in three bedroom houses, mm. you know, just chilling, with hanging their, out, just hanging out with the big space. <laughs> <and games laughs> Making room. some popcorn before
0: they go into the theater room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, you told me that Aussie miners might be under threat of cyber attack. What's going on there?
1: Mm, so this is an interesting story we got last week that um, the, there's an Aussie miner called Linus it's mm. uh, in the rare earths business. He invented
0: Linux. Did it? Yeah, no, he didn't. No.
1: It's <laughs> Different guy <going> altogether.
0: Okay, <laughs> it's one little gag for the computer guys out there. <laughs> They'll know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> all three of them. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Linus was was the was the target of a cyber attack, apparently. So this mm. comes from a U.S. cybersecurity firm called Mandiant did yep. a report saying that um, Linus got targeted. So Linus, what they're saying is Linus was pushing for this project. They're getting government support in Texas and they wanted to build a rare earth processing plant mm. and they were negotiating a deal with the US government to get a $120 million support package to get this project mm. up and running in Texas. Um, and as this is going on, apparently is what Mandiant reckons, is that uh, Chinese, well, agents acting on behalf of the Chinese government Mm. um, started trying to drum up a protest on social media in Facebook and to sort of like to just quash this this rare earth push.
0: So hang on, it was in Texas, it was an Mm. Australian company in Mm. Texas, but the Chinese government Mm. were like... Right, we've got to do something about this. Yeah. And the best thing they could come up with was let's make some fake Facebook accounts. Yeah, yeah. Start slinging some, <laughs> slinging some mud around. We'll see how they like that. <laughs> and, and this massive cyber company called Mandian are like, whoa, <laughs> this is big news. Is there, more? is there more here?
1: Well, there's a sexy name. They, they're oh, yeah. saying it's the Chinese program called Dragon Bridge.
0: Oh, yes. Now, <laughs> okay, I'm back in. <laughs> You're back interested in it, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Linus operates the only non-Chinese-owned rare earth processing plant in the world. Right. So there's, there's only one. So, uh-huh. so China has an almost total monopoly on rare earth processing.
0: Do you know what rare earth processing is? Just I can just sense a few people listening out there going, what is rare earth? I, I don't
1: know. Well, it's just minerals been, and stuff? Yeah, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's particular elements that, that go into right. t- the high-tech stuff. Trace elements
0: like you, you want good for the lawn. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. they're Okay. They got,
0: ra- oh, ra- yeah, okay, rare earth. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So like yeah.
1: And they're used in like – they're used in military equipment, like drones ah. and electric vehicles and stuff like yeah. that. Got it. And so, like, yeah, it's incredibly important to the sort of the future economy but also to the military-industrial complex Mm. And China has an almost has – a, has a stranglehold on the rare earth market because it owns every processing plant in the world apart right. from one which is owned by Linus and operated in Malaysia. Mm. And because rare earths generate low-grade radioactivity when they're processed, oh, yeah. it seems – this is what they're saying – is the Chinese government has been running a smear campaign against Linus in, in Malaysia as well – and creating a lot of trouble for them there. Right. And, the, and that's the playbook that they then brought to Texas to try and make people in Texas angry about it
0: and right. try
1: to create a protest to try to kill this deal. Mm. And the thing is, that the, and so on the other side, the American government and the Australian government are, are trying to break this stranglehold and, and develop their own rarest processing. So mm. the export finance... Ex- Export Finance Australia, as a, gov- a government agency, has lent a billion dollars to Aluka Resources last in April,
0: right.
1: To to build a rare earth separation plant in Neba in, in Western Australia.
0: Okay, so if we did it here, we can do what we want because it's our, it's Australia.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it'd probably be a social media campaign.
0: Pretty- Probably. Yeah, but it'd be far enough out in the outback maybe that, that any concerns around radioactivity. Although mm. Texas is a big place too. I'm, I'm sensing mm. that might have been the attraction with Texas. Yeah, um, possibly. Can't we just flip it around on, on these Chinese hackers or whatever and just start like shitposting stuff that they're doing and like the, radio, the radiation producing rare earth <laughs> if they're doing like... <laughs> I feel like there's an opportunity here. If they're doing 99% of the earth's rare earth processing <laughs> generating radioactive output, then I feel like that's something we could call out and we would have the upper hand over them calling out our 0.08% rare earth processing radiation.
1: Yeah, but I mean this but this is the interesting Asymmetry in it is that hmm. you know you you don't have any access to social media in China. Social media hmm. in, in China is very tightly controlled by Beijing. Yeah, uh, right. You can't just shit post against state-owned corporations trying to build critical infrastructure.
0: Yeah. Even SCOMO couldn't get his account back when it got <laughs> it, it got taken off him. <laughs> <That's> a, <right. laughs> it got sold <laughs> in a cafe. <laughs> someone, someone sold Scott Morrison's WeChat account, didn't they? And, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. like, Can I have it back and they're like, No, nope, sorry, there's nothing no. we can do. No.
1: Right, you're not, yeah. You're that's not true. even supposed to have one. Yeah, right. That's a point. In a you know, free in quotation marks nation like the mm. America or Australia, you can mm. launch a social media campaign and
0: which could which could then again be quite effective because it's a democracy <laughs> like which again is the you know the flip side in in China it's like mm. who are you going to what are you going to lobby you're going to you're going to mm. try and get the government voted out
1: yeah like, yeah doesn't work i mean you can you can see it's probably worth a shot it's like what what man eh? throw you know 50 bucks of facebook ads at it and <laughs> see if you can create a riot in texas <laughs> But I think it's – I mean, what is interesting is, like, if they're doing that, right, like, that's – you know, and they talk about the way they did it with, like, stock images and formulate mm. usernames with random numbers and letters. So it kind of seems – like, it didn't seem pretty thinly veiled as a cyber attack or as a coordinated cyber attack. It just happened around the time they're trying to land this deal. Mm. But if that's going on, what else is going on? Like, what else is – you know, what black ops is happening <laughs> that we're not seeing <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I don't think we can talk about what they're doing here with black ops coming out of Chinese cyber warfare in the same sentence. This is... this is No,
1: nah, come on. You're being naive. For <laughs> sure it's going on.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's just,
1: it just shows, this, for me, it's like another sign of the times of how far things have turned you mm. know up until 2018 2019 we were happy for china to have the entire rare earth processing industry
0: mm. no God. one no
1: one thought that was a problem it's got all
0: that dirty radiation so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: their problem <laughs> you know right but like no, no one really thought it was a problem to offshore mm. the entire industrial base yeah. everything that could be offshored got offshored to china and no one thought it was a problem and mm. then in 2020, well, 19 before before COVID, but 2019, and then particularly with 2020, it's like the Western world woke up and went, "Whoa, like this is actually a bit of a problem. We can't just like, you know, mm. we can't rely on China. They can't have complete control of rare earths. Like that's that's a huge right. vulnerability. So now yeah. they're trying to trying to backpedal and get out of that, and then China's like trying to not let that happen. So that's that's the tussle that we're in. And you know, An- and Anthony Albanese is trying to you know repair the relationship with China but like there's a strategic mm. rivalry happening here they're posting Aussie miners trying to undermine our rare earth processing capacities like how do you work that into your negotiation you
0: know? yeah um. uh, well it does explain a few things I saw someone giving uh, CVE some 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 shade the other day, but that was probably what that was. It was just Chinese hackers just yeah. targeting us. We'll probably get more of it now that we've talked about it. We shouldn't even have gone this far. Yeah. But that's what we do here on Comedian versus Economist. We push the envelope. Uh, all right, why don't we take a quick break here. We'll go a word from our sponsors. And coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about the end of the 60-40 investing rule as well as a government that has decided to turn wastewater into beer all that more right after this on comedian versus economist i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role
1: like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Welcome back here on Comedian Versus Economist. You can send us an email if you'd like. We'd love to get them. Uh, CVE at equitymates.com or via the website equitymates.com forward slash CVE. And don't forget to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages at CVE Podcast Thomas. Apparently, it's been a bad year for the 60-40 rule. Before we find out why, what is the 60-40 rule?
1: The 60-40 rule is a portfolio strategy. Uh, mm. which says that you should have 60% of your portfolio in shares and 40% in bonds. Okay.
0: Um,
1: and it's called Lazy Portfolio Strategy and sort of the basic idea, and there's a number of lazy portfolio strategies, but the basic mm. idea is that people are stupid, that <laughs> <laughs> you're stupid. <laughs> well, not stupid, this is, but... <laughs>
0: this is really speaking to me, this yeah. 64-year-olds. Lazy and it's targeted <laughs> at people who are stupid.
1: That's... I can't yeah. believe
0: this is the first time I'm hearing about it. I feel like they're really not targeting their, their demographic well enough.
1: Yeah. Well, they need lazy, stupid and poorly read. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're
0: talking. They need a better name though, the 60-40 rule. It's like, yeah. I don't know.
1: Well, it was the first, so, so the basic idea is that most people and, and almost everyone, it's very hard to manage your portfolio on the fly. That most mm. people aren't capable of reading the economic wins and allocate and, you know, pivoting into equities and then away from equities into bonds and doing that mm. on the fly. And rather than doing that, you should take a lazy portfolio approach and just go like, okay, I'm just gonna lock in sixty forty. That's my rule, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna rebalance every year. And other than that, I'm just gonna ignore it. I'm not gonna try and try and actively manage it.
0: So how does it work? So you split it between 60-40, so you got 60, mm-hmm. 60% equities, 40% bonds. What's the attraction with doing it that way? Like why was that seen as a
1: recipe for success and, and low sort of risk? Because I think an academic came up with it and said that this was a good, based mm-hmm. on historical data. I think saying it's invented in 1981. So right. So the, the idea
0: think- is that like equities go down, the bonds go up.
1: Yeah, 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 and
0: yeah. vice versa. So you kind yeah. of, yeah. But yeah. I guess equities go up more than bonds. <laughs> yeah, 60 yeah.
1: 40. I mean, the the idea, yeah, you, you're diversifying and you're and you're trying mm. to, yeah, you're trying to create something that that weathers, weathers all the ups and downs of the market. And mm. so, so the sixty forty was like the original lazy portfolio, and it's the same idea with ETFs. That's why ETFs became popular. It's like rather than trying to pick stocks, just mm. back the market or back a thematic, and. Just, just sit back and keep your hands off it. Like you're going to do better once you take out fees and cost of trading, you're going to do better just to sit back and, and not engage. And so the 60-40... financial 40 advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking to you specifically there. Like get your hand off it. But don't. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's, the, that's, that's sort of the idea. And then so the 60-40 was the original rule and then a whole bunch of... L- strategies came emerged out of that that tried to put some more nuance on that Mm. so another famous one there's yeah dozens of them but like there's the all all weather portfolio which was developed by ray dalio who we've we've talked a bit about Mm -hmm. and that that's because tony robbins asked him to put together a portfolio mix so you know tony (laughs) robbins the american success guru
0: yeah yeah like a Motivational speaking guy. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah he wrote yeah, a money yeah. book, so he went to Ray Dalio, the most successful hedge fund manager in the world, one of, mm. and put he put together an all weather portfolio, which was forty percent long term bonds, thirty percent stocks, fifteen percent intermediate term bonds, seven and a half percent gold, and seventy five percent commodities.
0: Hey, that makes up more than a hundred percent, doesn't it? No, I'm no I'm no math expert. No, no. Add those numbers up. What was it? Say it again.
1: 40% long-term bonds, 30% 40, stocks, 70. 70. 15% intermediate bonds, 7.5% oh, 7. gold, 7.5% commodities.
0: 15, okay, all right,
1: good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's all weather portfolio, the Winklevoss twins came up with the all crypto portfolio, which was 60% oh, yeah. shares, 40% bonds, 90% Bitcoin, and 140% Dogecoin. <laughs>
0: Uh, so why is the 60-40 the sixty forty percent uh, sixty forty rule failing now? Why
1: this is interesting? Yeah. So yeah, it, it has historically it's done very well. Like saying mm. like Morgan Stanley saying like it delivers eighty percent of the stock market's return with only two thirds of the risk. So it gets good returns uh, with low risk because All bonds right. are typically low risk. And then yeah, as you're saying like typically in in normal. Like in the stylized economy in the market that we talk about, when growth's going well, equities are going great, but bonds mm. aren't doing so good. When growth's slowing, then equities aren't doing well, but bonds do well. And so you have right. you get the sort of the best of both worlds and they balance each other out. But that hasn't happened this year and it's been the same. Um, Jonathan Shapiro wrote an article in the IFR saying it's been the worst year on record for the 60-40 rule, saying like 2022 right. has been the year that's broken the 60-40 rule. Vanguard has, has a balanced ETF, which is 50-50, so not quite 60-40, but pretty close. And that's down 12% so far right. this year. So it's getting, it's getting hammered. And stocks are down, obviously, but bonds are down as well. And that's quite unusual historically. You don't normally get that.
0: So why did zero in a bit on the bonds thing? Why are bonds down? Because that's the problem, right? Like equ- equities go down. We, we go fine. The equities are down. The share market's dropped. Companies are overvalued or cheap money's ending, blah, blah, blah. And interest rates are going up. And my understanding is that bonds should start to then go up as interest rates go up. So why are bonds down? Like, shouldn't bonds be on the way up to balance it out? What What's causing bonds to stay low?
1: Yeah, this is yeah, this is where the gap in my understanding. Mm, good, you know. That I
0: asked, um, <laughs> do you want to hear my theory?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: Well, my theory is that nobody knows what the hell's going on, yourself included. Yeah, yeah um, that's, that's right. And that that bonds. Bonds rely on, on some level of predictability about interest rates, and so because you have you know you one year, three year, five year, ten year, whatever, and they're not moving in the way that they would normally move because no one knows what's going to happen ultimately within with interest rates. So mm. you can't you can't offer a ten year bond at five percent interest if mm. you don't know that the interest rate rate might fall off a cliff in like one year's time, mm. Mm. like if the the heads of the central banks like phil Lowe, is is has a pretty ordinary track record of predicting what's going to happen you know in two months let alone in two years i don't know
1: that's my read that would be my expectation too like no one predicted no one predicted this kind of market Mm. kind of reality um and i think it i think my guess is that it yeah does come down to the way that central banks have messed with money markets so it's not Mm. you know they stopped with money printing, they're no longer just controlling the interest rate. They're controlling money across across the spectrum. And so, the RBA had their yield curve control policy, which was like suppressing the yields o- over the sort of five ten year sort of horizon. Mm. So the, you, you you now long you're no longer in a free market where it's determined by demand and supply. It's the, there's, a, there's this gorilla in the room, and what the gorilla does with its money determines what's happening with bonds. I think.
0: Mm. And
1: because it's all new, like we haven't we haven't had this reality before, where the cent- where all the central banks of the world at the same time are in their markets, messing with yields and actively messing with yields, saying like yeah, we're here to do this, we're here to keep <laughs> control yields, mm. yeah. So it's, it's it's kind of a new reality, and as that unwinds, it's sort of it's it's unpredictable, and it's unwinding at the same time as the stock the share market is coming off. So you've got that sort of the influence of the central banks being unwound at the same time as te- as you know share mm. markets globally are, are, are tanking so i think that's why it's sort of been a bad year for bonds as well so i think like the the basic theory of the 60 40 rule is sound we just haven't tested it in an economic environment where central banks are playing such a dominant role
0: i mean i think it would be it would be fascinating if like it turned out that 80% of the problems with the 60 40 rule were caused by 20% of the monetary policy that we've put in place. Because if the 80-20 rule broke the 60-40 rule, that's when you know it's time to just stop, get out. (laughs) (laughs) The world's done. Right, Thomas, hardly news these days, but there's a new craft beer hitting the market, but this one's a bit different. What's going on?
1: Yeah, this one's being made by recycled sewage water, so... (laughs) (laughs) For a hard earned first, (laughs) drink your
0: own wee. Right, Um, where do we start? What's
1: yeah? Yeah. It's happening in Singapore, so Singapore is is leading the way here. So yeah, so it's a collaboration between Mm. the country's water agency, the National Mm -hmm. Water Agency, and a local craft brewery, Brewworks. Brewworks. Uh, yeah, the beer is called New Brew. Mm. Yeah, the Brewworks describes the beer as highly quaffable. <laughs> <laughs> Suitable to Singapore's tropical climate with a smooth, toasted honey like aftertaste.
0: Toasted honey? Yeah. The National Water Agency, which is part of PUB, which is the Public Utilities Board. Mm. But, like, so once you had that acronym, it's almost like they're obliged to start making beer. <laughs> like, we can't. <laughs> We can't call ourselves pub and not make beer. So they looked around and they're like, what are we going <laughs> to, what are we it out of? Well, we own the waterworks. <laughs>
1: Righto. Do you reckon some consultants come back with a logo and go like, no, you've totally misread what the pub's about. <laughs> like, oh, what do we do now?
0: <laughs> uh, I think it helps though. It helps if, you, if your water agency is controlled by by pub. Like mm. it makes, makes buying the beer more palatable. Like mm-hmm. if that was in South Australia, we just got like SA Water. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not drinking a beer made by SA Water. <laughs> Instead of Coopers, we could have Poopers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so why why are they doing it? Is the obvious question. Why why did they release a beer?
1: Well, apparently they they're big on water um, recycling, so they do mm. quite a lot of it. They're, they're like they, they call it new water, and yeah, it's re- recycled yeah sewage water, mm. um, and mostly it's been used for cooling and industrial purposes. But they're saying. <laughs>
0: Why stop there? What's up Calling there? an industrial the natural segue <laughs> to beer production.
1: <laughs> They're aiming to meet 55% of their water needs by 2060 through new mm. water. So okay. that's pretty substantial. And you've got to remember, Singapore is, is a small urban island with mm. very few sort of natural resources. And I think water is always going to be a story for them. Um, And I think like it's one of the things as we've seen, like we're talking about Singapore with chicken recently with Malaysia banning Mm, chicken exports. Like I think it's one of the things with supply chains breaking down. I think everywhere, nations everywhere are a bit like, whoa, we're a bit vulnerable here to things going skew Mm. if, and Singapore in particular, like it's food and water. It's not sort of missing out on luxury items. It's like Mm. your your, your basics.
0: Well, this remember because when we talked about that, they were like they were pretty insistent on fresh chicken. Uh, and, like, maybe this is the reason. They're like, look, we can't muck around with, like, salmonella or any kind of gastro situation here with, like, frozen chickens because if that hits the waterways, then people are going to be drinking it in their beer and <laughs> it's, it's too great a risk. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. I mean, there's, there's a treatment process, obviously. So there's microfiltration, reverse osmosis, as well as ultraviolet light mm, to sure. hit it with, today. But yeah, I think it's, it's also pretty – you think about all of that, like it's got to be fairly energy intensive, which is, you know, we talk about this, the sun cable project mm. um, in WA. It's going to like massive solar farm with a cable direct to Singapore. Right. Pumping energy to Singapore. So mm. maybe that's something that's going to go into beer.
0: I don't know if I, – I think this might fit into the just just because you can doesn't mean you should <laughs> category though. <laughs> 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 Because I remember that I remember that there was a I remember watching TV a few years ago, and I think maybe one of the guys from the Chaser was on there, and he was like walking around a Sydney mall somewhere, like handing out drinking water that was made from wastewater. So we've we've had mm. the technology mm. for some time, but but people were just like tasting it, and some people said, "Yeah, it tastes fine," but ultimately, you know, would you drink it? Probably not, because mm. you've got mm. the choice. You go, well, I've got. You know, I've got tap water, so as long as that's still running, mm. so I think it's smart because, like, if you go, "Well, I'm not going to drink water, but if you if you give it to me in beer form, my standards significantly drop <laughs> once it gets to <laughs> once it gets to beer. Like, you know, yeah, you have only yeah. got to look at forex; people drink anything. Um- <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it does, it does, There's a there's a there's a big bridge to cross in terms of public acceptability with it. Even though, yeah, it's it's probably perfectly fine. Yeah, like to- Toowoomba was talking about doing this a decade or so ago. Oh, really? Th- yeah, they had a water shortage, and then but then someone started calling it poo <laughs> <laughs> That kind of was the end of it. I don't of think it went anywhere did. after that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's one meme away from the end of production. <laughs> You know you know know, know what'd be amazing though, is like they could set it up if they could set it up in such a way, you know how those you know how pubs nowadays have like a visible like keg room where they store all the kegs and there's pipes (laughs) and it's all industrial. And then you get those other kind of upmarket pubs where you go to the trough in the men's and there's like one-way glass that looks out over the restaurant or over (laughs) the over the brew room. Like imagine if you could just see see your wee going down the, the trough straight into a pipe, <laughs> circling around a few passing through some little
1: <laughs> microfiltration.
0: <laughs> microfiltration <laughs> osmosis devices and then straight into the taps. You'd you really feel connected to your local pub. Talk about <laughs> talking about a sense of community. <laughs> um. On that note, I think, I think we might leave it there. Um, thank, you so much for, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to Comedian vs. Economist once again. Uh, we do uh, really appreciate you joining us every, every week for this silliness at times, but hopefully it's, uh, it's interesting and informative as well. Uh, Thomas, that's all from us. Thank you for your company once again. Thank you for your company out there. We look forward to talking to you again next time on Comedian versus Economist.
1: Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equitymates Media, All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast.